Hey, good morning, Tri-Cities Church. It's good to be here again on another Sunday as we gather to uh, encourage one another to be equipped by the Word of the Lord and to be sent out into our community to make a difference. Uh, it's exciting to be a part of the church, right? Because the church isn't just a gathering, a club, or a group of people that just like hanging with people or hanging with one another. But we are a community of people being equipped for God's mission we believe firmly that God is transforming our world, that he's making a difference. And we gather in this place, um, not just in obedience to Jesus Christ, but because Jesus is doing something in this body of believers um, that will affect the world out there um, beyond our four walls. Well, I'm Wesley. I'm one of the pastors here at Tri-Cities Church. If this is your first time with us, uh, we do welcome you here. In the seats in front of you, there are, um, there are cards, connection cards, just one way of connecting at Tri-Cities. We just love if you fill out whatever information you feel comfortable uh, filling out. And after the message, when we share in communion at these four tables, uh, you can drop one of those cards in the buckets. Uh, also, Tri-Cities Church folks, y'all know uh, we love to be praying with you and for you about anything that's going on in your life. And so the, on the back of those cards, there's also where you can write any kind of um, concern, burden, praise, whatever it is that's going on that you want us to be uh, joining you and spending time before the Lord uh, with you about. I'm excited this morning, not just because we're continuing our series uh, that we're calling God is Good, but because I have the opportunity to announce to you about the organizations that we are supporting for our Big Give offering. Uh, if you were with us this time last year, you know that every year we take up a big offering. It's the one time a year that we pass the offering plates at Tri-Cities Church, and we take up an offering and we give it all away. And so we are, um, we are excited about this because it's an opportunity we have as a church to express the generosity of our God. Our God is um, more generous than we could ever be, but as followers of Jesus Christ, we, try to, we strive to keep up with God's generosity, knowing we'll fall short, but we'll have the opportunity to point people to the goodness of our God. Well, this year uh, we are supporting three different organizations. The first one you're a little bit familiar with, it's Serenity Steps. Uh, Serenity Steps, we've had Leroy Lamar, the director of Serenity Steps, come here and uh, speak uh, before at Tri-Cities Church. And let me just, uh, I just want to read from their website briefly what Serenity Steps is about. Their mission is to provide life coaching and resources to sex workers and the sexually exploited in the United States to help them uh, uh, come off of the streets and to achieve the life that God has called them to. We, every year we sit down, and this is one of the great joys that we have um, uh, as pastors of Tri-Cities Churches, we have this great joy of sitting down with these people that are directing these ministries and talking to them about what God is doing through their ministry. And really, to it gives us an opportunity to vet, to hear the stories, and to uh, be encouraged by what they're doing, these specific ministries that they're doing, um, that Tri-Cities Church as a whole, we won't develop a program to do this, but we can come alongside and support. And so you'll hear more as we get closer to November 18th when we take up this offering about Serenity Steps and how Leroy Lamar and Nikki, the two people uh, that work uh, for Serenity Steps, are going out onto the streets, and they're meeting people where they are who are trapped in a lifestyle that is not God's will or God's best for them, and helping them realize that there's something better that God has for their life. We talked to him just this past week, and his heart was that we would be a community of faith that when these ladies come off of the streets and out of this lifestyle, they can be plugged into a community where they could be loved, encouraged, and they could grow in their faith and knowledge of Jesus Christ. And Tri-Cities Church, we have to be that community. It's not really something that's, well, can we be that community? We have to be that community because that's what God would want us to be. You'll hear more about Serenity Steps, the other ministry that we are supporting uh, is Love Beyond Walls. It's right here, based right here in College Park. Some of you know about Terrence Lester and the ministry that he's started here to the homeless and those that are hungry and without food and daily resources. Terrence will be coming and he'll be speaking to us about the work that he is doing. The thing I love about their ministry, and if you check out their website, you'll see um, that they are committed to listening to the real needs 
that are expressed by people in desperate situations in our community and strategizing and coming up with innovative, practical ways that really make a difference in our world, in these people's lives. I've been following Terrence Lester for the last five years. Their ministry started about the same time our church did, and I've seen life change after life change as people who were formerly on the streets have had their lives changed when communities of faith come alongside them and walk with them and help them live into the restoration that God is calling them into. And so you're going to hear more about Love Beyond Walls, but this, again, is another ministry that we have to be uh, uh, committed to and that we have to support um, because they are doing exactly what God is calling us to do, taking the love of Jesus Christ beyond these walls. And we have the opportunity to partner with them, not just financially, um, but to partner with them in, uh, in manpower, to ju- come alongside them with our time, our resource, our talent, our abilities, and help them develop that ministry. Um, the third ministry that we're going to support, and actually we don't have a name uh, this morning for this ministry because God just laid this on our hearts. And we said we have to, as a church, we just have to do this. As you've watched the news and you've seen the, the, the storms that have hit and the disaster that's happened, and sometimes when we're far away, we don't see the devastation. We just watch the news, and as soon as the news changes to the next cycle of events, that thing is wiped out of our minds unless we know somebody that's suffering as a result of these storms. But people in these areas that are being hit by these storms who've lost everything, it's not wiped out of their mind. They don't just move on, even if the news has moved on, um, because they've lost stuff and they're struggling to rebuild and figure things out. And so we're going to begin this week vetting and talking to some disaster relief organizations, and we're going to choose one that we will support as a church financially, and if there's something that we can do physically to come alongside them, we're going to do, this is the big thing, right? Uh, A lot of times when these things happen and the news stories pop up, people's, it tugs at our heartstrings and people give money, uh, and people have given money and resources Um, But the disaster is well beyond what our money can accomplish. But we want to be generous enough that we make make it evident, clear, that we are trying to keep up um, with the weight of this disaster by giving fully, as fully as we can. We want to stretch ourselves. In fact, what Paul says to the church in Corinthians, that they gave out of their poverty, it welled up in rich generosity, right? And so we want to say, well, we don't have enough to meet the need that is there, but we want our out of what we don't have to well up in rich generosity that we're able to send and give and be for people in other parts of the world. Um, The hands and feet of Jesus Christ that make a difference in their lives. So November 18th, uh, we, are, um, we are going to pass the plates. We're going to take up an offering for these ministries. We're going to express our generosity as a church. We're going to show the world how generous God has been by us living generously towards others in our world. So I want you praying about what God would have you to give. Uh, begin uh, saving and budgeting. And even if it's not written in your budget, I want to challenge you to ask God, what would you have me to trust you with? Um, Because the safest investment you could ever make is by giving into the hands of God and the work of God in this world, um, because it reaps a, a return on investment that goes beyond what we will ever see, know, or imagine in this world as people come to know Jesus Christ and his love through organizations and ministries that step into the pain of this world. Amen. All right. Well, this morning we are continuing our series that we're calling God is Good. Um, And we're just exploring the goodness of God from the 23rd Psalm. And we're walking through this Psalm verse by verse. And we're studying and trying to understand what it looks like for us to experience and know the goodness of God in our actual lives. Let's pray and then we'll get into a word this morning. Uh, God, we, uh, we do give you thanks this morning that you give us this opportunity to gather in this place and um, to be a church that's trying to live like Jesus, a man who fully represented the heart and mind and character of God. God, God in the flesh, 
came and dwelled among us in our neighborhoods, and he showed us the way. And so, God, I pray that you will help us as we study the way, that it will become our way of life, and that we can represent Jesus well in this world. God, I pray that our gathering won't just be a gathering of people, um, but it will be an equipping of people who can go out and be the hands and feet, that can be representatives of Jesus in this world. It's in your son, Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, last week we started this series in Psalm chapter 1, uh, and, and we, it, which says, um, The Lord is my shepherd, I have no needs, or I shall not want, or I won't be in want, depending on which translation of the Bible you are reading. It talks about the Lord being our shepherd. And last week we started this series and we saw two important truths for us. We saw that goodness is a part of God's nature. You remember that from Psalm chapter 23, verse 6. We saw that goodness is a part of God's nature. In fact, David writes, the one who wrote Psalm chapter 23, which is a song that was written to communities of faith, right? It says, uh, surely your goodness and mercy will follow me. He expressed this confidence that God's goodness would follow him because that's part of God's nature. In fact, remember what we said last week when it says follow, it's really saying that your goodness will hunt me down. It will chase me down. I can't get away from the goodness of God because God is just that good. So that was the first thing we saw that this psalm is bookended by two truths. In Psalm chapter 23 verse 6 it says, uh, surely his goodness, God's goodness is, goodness is part of God's nature. And then Psalm chapter 1 we saw that the goodness of God can only be found in Jesus Christ because it says the Lord is my shepherd. And Jesus comes and he says, I am the good shepherd. What they didn't see a long time ago and what David couldn't have known fully when, this, when he wrote this psalm was that Jesus would be the full representation of God in this world. And when he says, the Lord is my shepherd, he was really pointing forward to Jesus Christ who would come and live and show us what it looks like for God to be our shepherd. And this morning, we're continuing in this series and in Verse 1, uh, David makes this bold claim for the church, and that is that God is the source of everything we need. That God is the source of everything we need. If you look at Psalm chapter 23, verse 1, listen to what it says. It says, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. The Lord is my shepherd. With the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. David wants us to see, and we talked about this last week, that the church, that this has become one of the most popular psalms in the church. And the reason why this is one of the most popular psalms in the church is because the church, from generation upon generation, has recognized this psalm to be true for our lives. That when we trust God with our lives, we really do experience the goodness of God, and we experience that the Lord is my shepherd, therefore I will lack no good thing when I trust the Lord as my shepherd. And so David's making this bold claim that God is a source of everything that we need. Now what's challenging here is that often we don't recognize God as the source of the things we need. In fact, we pursue things, we work jobs, we go after things, we pursue them, and when we attain them, often we give ourselves credit for what we've pursued, what we've attained, what we've worked hard for, and we allow our own work, our own pursuits, our own goals to get in the way of us recognizing that the Lord is the source, that God is the source of everything we need. And sometimes we minimize God to a role that is lesser than what God actually is in this world, which is the source of everything that we need. You know, a couple of years ago, someone gave me, my wife and I, they gave us as a Christmas gift, a generator. It was after one of those bad storms where a lot of people lost 
power. Now, it's not a whole house generator. It's a small generator, but I, I've tested it out. It'll run the refrigerator, right? It, it will run um, the vacuum cleaner. Like, if the power goes down, you're just a neat freak, and you got a vacuum. <laughs> like, if that's your thing, like, it'll, it'll run the vacuum cleaner. It can run a few lights and those kinds of things around the house. It has enough, you know, it's kind of a backup generator just so you don't lose your meat or you can clean up the dog or cat hair or whatever it is going on around your house uh, in the middle of a storm. But it, it's a good thing to have. Right, we, we were glad to have it, but you know where where it's lived almost all the time since it was given to us in our basement, waiting on a storm and electricity to go out and some meat to be going bad, uh, and, and for us to bring it out and crank it up and, and to plug something into it and to use it. Um, it it's a it's a backup generator. And here's the thing, often we live like God is our backup, right? We pursue things, we go after things, we work hard to attain them, and when we fall short, then we want to read our Bible. When we fall short, then we want to come to church. When we fall short, then we want to pray, and we treat God, we put him in the uh, dark, nasty, uh, uh, this past week, flooding basement, um, because we treat God as backup, because this is what our world teaches us right? When you want something, you go after it, you pursue it, you attain it, and you receive the credit for what you've achieved. And the Bible is showing, no, God deserves the credit for everything that we achieve, that we can't claim credit for what God has done, that all good things come from God, whether we give him credit or not. And the Bible is challenging us to recognize God is our shepherd, who gives us all the good things and meets all the needs that we have in this world. And I think the big thing that we have to see as we look at Psalm chapter 23, verse 1, is that because the Lord is our shepherd, we don't have to worry. With the Lord as our shepherd, we don't have to worry. Now, worry is something that is common to us all. Now, we all fall on some spectrum of worry. So for some of us, we're consumed with worry and anxiety and just at the slightest chance that something may fail or go wrong, we begin to panic. For others, we kind of take life easy and, and don't worry quite as quickly or easily. But worry happens to us all. We all have a tendency to worry about the future, to worry about whether we'll be enough or good enough, or worry about whether we have what we have will be adequate. But here's the thing, because worry is not God's will in our world. In fact, worry was a result of the fall. It was a result of Adam and Eve rebelling against God, turning their back against the way of God, trying to accomplish things on their own, living his like, life like things depended upon them, and living with the mindset of things depending upon them. Um, because Adam and Eve did that, they began to worry, and humans have been trapped in this cycle of worrying because we have this way of thinking that says it depends upon us, and whether we admit it or not, whether our ego will allow us to admit it or not, we all know somewhere deep within that we're inadequate and that we really can't accomplish all the things we want to accomplish on our own. We can't attain all the things that we desire for our life on our own. For all of us, failure is common to us all. And as a result of that, when we try to rely on ourselves and live independent lives, worry will creep in. But here's the thing. When worry comes in the front door, worship is going to go out the back door because we're going to stop trusting God. When panic comes in the front door, prayer is going to go out the back door because we're going to stop trusting 
God, whenever we allow worry to flourish in our life, whenever we allow panic to flourish in our life, it's going to push out the trust and belief in God. You see, worry is this sin of failing to trust in the promises of God. Worry is not God's will for our lives. Rather, God wants us to stand on, to believe in the promises of God. When we find ourselves beginning to worry, the most practical thing we can do is begin diving into the word and the promises of God and begin reciting those as promises for our lives. Because all throughout the scriptures, God has made some promises to us. In fact, God has made some guarantees to us. God has spoken some things to his people that we can stand on, and God wants us standing on. God wants us trusting God with. And and so when we find worry coming in, when we find panic coming into our lives, we turn to the scriptures. There's some scriptures, and I thought about these just this morning, but I want to run through some of them. This morning, I don't know how much time we'll spend in the Gospel of John, but it's in the Gospel of John, chapter 17. Now, last year, y'all know, we spent the whole year in the Gospel of John. I find myself all year referring, I don't know if y'all realize this, referring back to the Gospel of John. When we got out the Gospel of John, I was like, man, I'm never turning to that book of the Bible ever again. I had enough of the Gospel of John last year. Uh, But this year, I find I can't get enough of John's Gospel. It's just too good. In the Gospel of John, we read about some of the promises that God makes to us. These aren't going to be on the screen. You can read these for yourself. In John chapter 14, verse 1, listen to what it says. It says in verse 1, Do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house there are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me so that you may be where I am. God makes this a promise to him. You are not alone in this world. God has not abandoned you. If it feels like he's left you, you can be guaranteed and assured of this, that Jesus will come back and he will take you who believe in him so that you might be where he is. In John chapter 14, verse 6, listen to what it says. These are more promises from God. He says, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is saying that I'm a worthwhile way of of going, uh, a trustworthy path in this world. And so when you find yourselves in the midst of a storm and a situation, and you're wondering if this is worthwhile, if following Jesus is worthwhile in the midst of this, because it might not be getting you the results that you want as quickly as you want, we declare the promises of God to ourselves. I am the way, the truth, and the life. In John chapter 14, verse 12, listen to what it says. He says, very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I've been doing. They will do even greater works than these because I am going to the Father, and I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. Jesus makes that a promise to us. He's saying that you can ask for anything that lines up with the will of God in this world, and you can, you can bet your life on it, right, that God is going to step in, and he's going to do what you're asking him for when it lines up with his will in this world. That's a promise of God that you can stand on. God is always challenging us to stand on the promises of God in this world. In John chapter 15, listen to what it says here, another promise from God. In fact, John 14, 15, 16, 17 are filled with promises from God. It's just so good. We can't get enough of it. He says, as the Father loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and remained in his love. I have told you this so that, so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Right, Live in the way of God, and God has promised us that he will complete his joy within us, that we will experience the fullness of joy as we remain in the way of the Lord. When we find worry coming in, we must declare to ourselves the promises of God. If you look in John chapter, uh, chapter 17, listen how, or, or 16, listen to what it says in verse 33. I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. This is Jesus. He's like breaks in the middle of this long conversation he's having with the disciples. He's going, I've told you these things. I've promised you these things so that you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome this world. Jesus is making us some promises that he has overcome the world 
for us. And when we find worry coming into our lives, we could just turn to John chapter 14, 15, 16, 17. We could read through it and see the promises of God and begin declaring those promises over our lives. We could go on and on. These are promises that are good and true and that God wants us to trust him with. God wants us to speak these over our own lives so that we can push worry out of the back door and allow worship to come in the front door. Push panic out of the back door so that we can allow prayer to come in the front door so that we can trust God with the promises of God and we can find for ourselves through our own experience that the promises of God are good, they're true, they're worthwhile, they're worth trusting God for. Because when we do, in the midst of a storm and we trust God, God does something miraculous. And we may have to go through the storm. Well, sometimes we want God to just ride us above the storm. We may have to go through the storm, but God builds up our faith. And our test becomes our testimony. It becomes a part of our story of what God has done. And, you know, Jesus Christ, what he did, and I believe he, he was familiar with the 23rd Psalm. Of course, he would have grown up as a little boy memorizing the 23rd Psalm. And what he does in his first sermon ever is he teaches us about worry and how worry is not fitting as a part of the life of those who believe in God and trust Jesus Christ as their Savior. And so he teaches us reasons why we should not worry. In fact, in in Matthew chapter 5, chapter 6, chapter 7, we see Jesus' first sermon. And it's, it's an incredible read for us to just pause and read it and to take in all that Jesus had to say. You just think about this. If Jesus... At, you know, 30 years of age or so, said, I have one message or my first message that I want to speak to my people. And he goes, this is what it would be. And we have people that have written it down for us and have handed it down from generation and it's recorded in the Bible. And so we can actually learn directly from Jesus about what he teaches us about not worrying. Because Jesus knew firsthand that if the Lord is our shepherd, we have all that we need, and worry ultimately does not make sense because God has all things, and he's promised to be our shepherd. The first thing Jesus teaches here, though, in Matthew chapter 6, in the Sermon on the Mount is what it's been called. This is Jesus' first sermon. The first thing he teaches us is that worry is unnatural, that it's not natural for us to worry. In fact, we see that humans are the only thing in all of creation that worry. Look at, look at uh, Matthew chapter 6, verse 25. He says, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they are? Right? He's showing us that humans are the only thing in all of creation that worry. Now, other things get anxiety. My my dog struggles with anxiety. Uh, When it starts thundering, she will jump the fence and run away and get hit by a car on Washington Road. It happened. She struggles with anxiety. I know that's real specific, but that's what this dog would do. Every time it thunders, if she is outside, she will jump the fence and run away. We found her at Crystal's on Washington, on Main Street. We found her on Washington Road after she got hit by a car. This dog will jump the fence. But she struggles with anxiety. What's happening in the moment, she's not worrying. Humans are the only thing in all of creation that worry about tomorrow. This dog isn't worrying about whether she's going to have food today. She's just excited if she has food in the moment. The rest of creation cannot worry about what's going to happen yet tomorrow um, because that's unnatural. 
That's not the way God created it to be. But humans find ourselves worrying about tomorrow, thinking about whether we'll have enough for tomorrow. And what Jesus is saying here in Matthew chapter 6, verse 25, is that don't worry about tomorrow because that's not the way God created you to be. And the only thing that can combat that, and Jesus is teaching this to his, his followers, is that it's trust, his ultimate trust in Jesus Christ, belief in God's word, is the only thing that can combat this unnatural worry in our lives. Jesus is calling people to come and follow him, and as they follow him, they discover that he can be trusted for every one of their needs. The second thing that we see is in verse 27. Listen to what 27 says. It says, can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? The second thing I think Jesus wanted his disciples to see is that worry is uh, worthless. It's not worthwhile. It accomplishes nothing. Right? We can worry all day long about something, and you've experienced this. Um, and this is what, man, it drives me crazy. When I um, find myself worrying about something and worrying something about something, maybe experiencing panic over it, and then um, after what I've been worrying about happens or doesn't happen, I look back and I say, man, I wasted a lot of time and energy worrying about that. You know, what if we as God's people trusted Jesus, trusted God with all of our concerns, recognizing that worry accomplishes nothing, that it doesn't fix the, the thing that we're worried about, that it doesn't change the situation, that ultimately it accomplishes nothing. God wants us in the moment to experience his peace because worry can't change the past it can't change the present. It can't change the, uh, the can't, <laughs> worry can't change the past. It can't change the future. The only thing it can do is mess up the present, right? It can mess up our lives in the present. It can avoid us from experiencing or prevent us from experiencing God's blessings in the present. You see, oftentimes we are worrying and our worrying isn't allowing us to experience God's joy, which is for us right now. What if we, and we talked about this this morning, what if we as God's followers, followers of Jesus Christ, if we learned the real spiritual discipline of trusting God with the things that concern us? And we... <laughs> We kind of joked with the worship team this morning. We always kind of have a devotional time before we, co we come out um, on Sunday mornings. And, and I said, you know, the, the thing is, like, our pockets are filled with, with stuff. And we could stick our hands in our pockets and we can grab the stuff that's in our pockets out and we could hand it over to someone else. And that's easy for us to do. But it's hard for us to take the concerns that are in our heart and in our mind and to hand them over to God. That is a discipline that requires us to trust God. And it's a discipline that when we actually learn it and we are able to hand over our concerns to God, we're able to say, God, in prayer, and this is why it's so important for us to spend time in prayer before God and in his word is because it's in prayer that we can actually say, God, I trust you with this situation and I'm going to believe that you're able to step into it and make a difference in this space in my life. And we can walk away with a kind of a lightness of heart because we've actually trusted God with what's going on in our lives. You see, worry is worthless because it can't make a difference. But God is worthy because he can make a difference. And so we, in the moment, 
always have to find ourselves saying to God, God, I hand this over to you, or God, help me to hand this over to you and trust you more in this situation because I believe that you are more than able. Third thing we see uh, is that worry is unbelief. It's unbelief. Whenever we find ourselves being consumed with worry, it's a sign of our lack of trust in God. In fact, if we go back to Matthew, where we've been reading Matthew chapter 6, verse 28, listen to what it says. It says, And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that even, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. When it says pagans, it's talking about people who have yet come to believe and trust Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And it's saying people who do not believe worry and run after things as though it all depends on them. And what Jesus is saying is that it does not all depend on you. You must first recognize that God is the source of all of your needs, that the Lord is your shepherd. Therefore, you're not going to worry because that's a sign of your unbelief. In fact, every time we find ourselves worrying, it's like a caution light that's going off in our life. It's like a light that is blinking, that's showing us that this is an area where we are failing to trust God. And the goal here, and Jesus' goal, wasn't to produce guilt in the lives of believers or make us feel bad because we are worrying or to kick ourselves while we're down and worried, but rather to produce growth in our lives. You see, God isn't, God isn't saying to you, um, I'm frustrated with you because you're still struggling with worry. I'm I'm angry with you. God's not saying that. He's not saying, I'm angry with you because you're panicked over this situation. God isn't saying, I can't believe you. You've walked with me for all these years. Why are you still? God isn't saying that to us. God is coming alongside us, and he's showing us through his word that worry is unnatural, that it's worthless, and he's revealing his heart, which is ultimately for us to grow up and mature in our faith. And so the goal of Scripture isn't to produce this enormous guilt that becomes another weight that oppresses us and pushes us down, but rather it's to become our strength from God that helps us to see how we can live into the goodness of God and experience God's goodness more fully in this world when we eliminate worry and we experience God's goodness. When we eliminate worry and experience God's goodness. You know, I think there are some steps we can take to eliminate worry and experience God's goodness in the world. There are some things that we can do, like practical things we can do to eliminate worry and experience God's goodness. The first is we can acknowledge Jesus as um, our shepherd. We can acknowledge the Lord as our shepherd every single day. In fact, maybe this is more practical you can ask Jesus to be your shepherd every single day. Now, what's become a standard feature in the church is this ideal of uh, devotional time, like spending this devotional time or quiet time, as some would talk about it. Uh, and a lot of times we talk about devotional time or quiet time that happens in the morning as though the Bible says, wake up every morning and spend some time journaling reading the Bible and praying, and the Bible doesn't say that. But what humans throughout generation upon generation have discovered, that it's beneficial to the, the life of the believer for them to get up in the morning and to spend time reading Scripture, praying with God, 
and sometimes writing down their thoughts. And so this idea of quiet time, this devotional time, has become a standard feature in the church. Now maybe you might say, I'm not a morning person. If I get up in the morning and try to spend time reading scripture and praying to God, I'm going to do nothing but express my anger to God because I'm angry that I'm up early in the morning. Uh, and if that's you, here's what you, you must do. And I think this is, um, this is the teaching of Scripture, that followers of Jesus Christ, those that believe in Jesus, will spend consistent and regular time in the Word of God, studying and getting to know and understand the Word of God, praying to Jesus Christ, uh, God through Jesus Christ, praying and expressing their needs, concerns, and praise to God, that, that Believers of Jesus Christ will spend time doing that consistently. Now, what I've found to work for consistency in my life is early in the morning. Because, I know some of y'all are like, I'm not coming back to this church. <laughs> this guy talking about early in the morning. <laughs> because. There is little, and this is what I find to be true in my life, and you can ask yourself this question. There's little to compete with my time in the morning. In the afternoon, it will be inconsistent. In the evening, maybe you can stay up late, but I'll be falling asleep. Uh, during the work day, there's, you know, stress and events and meetings and things that come up that get in the way. But I rarely schedule anything in the morning before 7. And if I'm up early and spending time with the Lord, I find that I'm doing it consistent. And I'm able to ask Jesus to be my shepherd, to acknowledge him as my shepherd every single day. You know, this is an important way that we can push worry and push panic out of our lives. We can push it right out of that back door. Now, what I think, what, what I think um, our, our temptation is as followers of Jesus, not as followers of Jesus, what our temptation is as human beings living in this world, this is common for all humans, especially in our current society, our culture, is we want immediate results. And so if there's something within you that's saying, I'm going to give this preacher five days of getting up early and asking Jesus to be my shepherd, and if this doesn't work, I'm going to start sleeping in and hitting snooze and hitting snooze again. If there's something within you that's saying that, I want you to quiet that internal voice because that is Satan himself. <laughs> Rather, what we see is that when we develop spiritual disciplines, consistent time of spending time before the Lord, whether that's at 6.30 in the morning, 6.30 in the evening, whether it's at noon, if you can find time to do this consistently, to every day ask Jesus or acknowledge Jesus as your shepherd, you can refocus yourself on the provision of God and the fact that God wants and has promised to meet all your needs so that you will not be in want. The second thing I think we have to do is we have to place Jesus, we have to give Jesus first place in our lives. We have to give him first place in our lives. If you look again at Matthew chapter 6, listen to what it says in verse 33. It says, but seek first his kingdom. This is right after that passage the verses we just read, they were talking about worry being unnatural, worry being worthless, worry being unbelief. Look at what he says in verse 33. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will have, uh, tomorrow will, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. So it says that right? Seek first. And it's a challenge for us to give Jesus first place in every area of our lives. And I think man, the, the big practice that we always have to do is this introspective, reflective work of saying, what, what have I placed boundaries around in my life that I just refuse to trust God with? 
Is it my finances? That's a big one that's common and not anything to be ashamed of because it's something that we all struggle with. Do I struggle with placing God first place, giving God first place in my finances and saying, hey, God, I know this is my ideal budget, but how would you like me to spend my money? How would you like me to build my budget? How do you want me to use the resources that you have trusted me with? Maybe it's our relationships, and this is another biggie in our society, because God calls us to do some things that are countercultural in our relationships. And that's one of the places that we have a hard time putting God first place, especially when it comes to that forgiveness stuff (laughs) and that letting go because it feels like we're giving people permission to take advantage of us when we forgive again and again and again. But the scriptures are challenging us to put Jesus first place, to trust what he taught us. And so we're asking ourselves constantly, how is God challenging me to put him first place in my life? Because here's the thing. Any area in your life where God has not been placed first will become a source of insecurity and a place where you will begin to worry. Whether it's your finances, whether it's your relationship, whether it's your career, any place that you have not, that you have failed to put God first place will become a source of insecurity because you're trying to manage it on your own recognizing your own inadequacies, seeing your past failures, and not fully trusting God. The Bible challenges us to put God in first place in every area of our life so that God can prove himself to be sufficient and so that worry and panic can be pushed out the back door. You know, God doesn't want us living lives where we worry and panic. And the final thing I think that we have to see is that we have to learn to trust God with one day at a time. With just one day at a time. Because so often we're going, I don't know where the needs I have for tomorrow are going to come from. And when Jesus taught us to pray, he said, pray this, give us this day our daily bread. You see, we can get consumed about tomorrow and we can get consumed about the future. And the scriptures are challenging us to refuse to allow ourselves to get consumed with things that are way in the future or get consumed with things even that are coming tomorrow but every day to wake up and pray, God, give us this day our daily bread. Scriptures are challenging us to live fully. Jesus is challenging us to live fully in the moment, in the present, and say, God, I believe you're sufficient for tomorrow, and I know you're sufficient for right now. God, help me in this moment with all that I need. That is a powerful prayer. Now, I got to say, and I feel the need to say, now the Bible's not telling us to be idle and not to work and not to plan and not to set goals, but rather it's not making those plans, those goals, the things we desire ultimate so much so that we find ourselves pushing God out of the space of our lives, but rather we're inviting God into the space of our lives and saying, God, I'm trusting you today for my daily bread. You see, the only way that we will experience the goodness of God is if we recognize the goodness of God. And this is where we see that our faith is required to work and work hard because we're trusting God for what we have yet to see. And that's a hard thing to do. And the church, the church is a brave and courageous community of people 
that have stepped out in faith and have declared, I will trust God. And I'm going to work hard at it every single day. You know, every Sunday morning we share in a time of communion. And the thing I love about communion is it's uh, like a stone of remembrance. (laughs) It's a fixture in our gatherings. Communion is remembering the moment where Jesus sat down with his disciples and he said, I'm getting ready to do something that you will never forget. But life will press in on you. And concerns will weigh you down. And you'll begin living as though you've forgotten. And Jesus said, do this meal. Share at this table so that you don't live as though you've forgotten that Jesus died, that he rose from the dead. And so he gives us this bread and says, take and eat it, break it, take and eat it. Remember that my body was broken for you to take this juice that's representative of my blood. Drink it and remember that my blood was shed for you. But remember this alongside that, that I didn't die like any ordinary criminal on the cross. Like I I died like God in the flesh who could not be defeated by death. Do this so that you remember that God is victorious over all the things that you find yourself worrying about and concerned about. Do this so that you can kick worthless worry out the back door and invite God who's worthy in the front door. I'm going to pray. And whenever you feel comfortable, and I, I encourage you to take that thing, whatever's big on your mind right now, and that you're maybe worried about or concerned about, and hand that over to God. Like, practice that right now, and then make your way to one of these four tables, and then share in communion. God, we do give you thanks this morning that we have this opportunity to gather in this place, to read your word, to study it, to go through verse by verse and see why worry is unnatural, why, it, why, why it's worthless, and why it's a sign of unbelief. And God, I pray that you help our unbelief, that in areas where we've struggled, God, that you help us to believe, that we might declare that we will trust in the name of the Lord. So God, I pray that this community of faith will be one that's growing strong in their faith, and that is a sign of what it looks like to trust in the Lord and is able to point others to a God who's worthy of our trust. It's in your son Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen.